Welcome to the Open Bedroom Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Kalo. Welcome to conversations about open relationships, online dating, conscious uncoupling, and creating the relationship that truly aligns for you. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you do a couple things for us. Would you subscribe? Would you write a review? Maybe share us with your friends. And if you extra, extra like us, there's a link in the show notes here for my Patreon that does help pay for the creation of this podcast. And lastly, follow us on The Open Bedroom. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, I love to tell you about my Patreon account. So as many of you know, as things become more and more censored, it's harder for content creators like us to stay live on these amazing platforms like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. So what I've done is our spicier content now lives over on Patreon. We currently have some really fun episodes up, like how to give amazing blowjobs. I also just recorded and uploaded my night in a dungeon with a dominatrix. What can you expect? Weekly episodes and weekly content, some of it being sex ed, some of it being story and erotic telling, like I just did with my night in the dungeon, some of it being more podcasting where we have a guest on. So for an entry price right now of $5 per month, you can hop into my Patreon account and check it out. Check the show notes below for more information. Hope to see you there. Bye. Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast. This one, I feel like is extra special. Um, I've lately been finding really amazing humans over on TikTok. Kevin, who is also the bratty cat over on TikTok, um, is one of my favorite TikTokers to consume really interesting educational information about the poly community. And so today I'm sure he's going to share some wisdom, but I want to do a quick intro before I hand him the mic. So Kevin is, um, as I said, the bratty cat, which is why he has cat ears on. He has four partners and they're named super cute, sweet little like nicknames that he gives them. He has Panda, Penguin, Foxy, and Bunny. Kevin also has three cats. And the bratty part comes in that he is a masochist bratty submissive. I'm going to have him talk a little bit more about that, but I always like to normalize our guests. Kevin works in the financial services industry. Like he's a normal dude. He goes to the grocery store. Like you'd walk by him and have no idea that he has four partners, three cats and cat ears that he wears at home. So (laughs) Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself anymore? And then I'd love to dive into the topic of the whole, what is a masochist bratty submissive? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I think you've got my introduction down pretty pretty well. Um, a couple things I'd want to say maybe a little bit about the bratty cat and and how I got to where I am today because I think that leads into kind of the uh, mm-hmm. bratty submissive portion. So I have been a member of the kink community about ten years now. I've been non-monogamous for six no sixteen. Yes, it's when you get to when it's been this long, you kind of forget. Yeah. Um, my spouse and I, my nesting partner is the term I like to use. We've been together for 19. Right before we got married, we tried non-monogamy. We started out, um, I find every person has their own journey. We started out as mm-hmm. swingers and then we kind of moved into the, to the monogamish area until about seven years ago when I met Penguin, who is like my first true poly partner. And we decided polyamory is something we wanted to branch out on. Um, but during that process, we both found that we were interested in BDSM and kink. 
and uh, about 10 years we've been in the kink community. Um, I tried being a dominant because that's what men do. They're supposed to be dominant. Uh, I tried that for about a year. Uh, realized I was not a dominant person. I met Penguin, who is a dom. She took one look at me and she's like, get on your knees. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And that was the end of that. Oh, (laughs) she's like, no, you're, you're very clearly a submissive. Um, but I used to actually work on a podcast of my, uh, myself. Um, I was on a different podcast that was just a kink podcast, um, from 2016 through 2021. And unfortunately I had, yeah, unfortunately I had a falling out with the host and, um, kind of found myself in a really rough spot because I was the lead writer and that was kind of my my outlet for creativity mm-hmm. um so I actually went back into therapy and when people asked me like where'd you get the idea for the bratty cat it was actually my therapist idea <laughs> my therapist was like hey you love writing you love creating you know creating stuff you should probably maybe start a blog which a month later led to the Facebook page which led to TikTok and and you'd mentioned polyamory it's interesting how the algorithm kind of steers things in the way it wants to go, not so much for the way you want to go. So I try to do my content about 50% kink, about 50% polyam, but you're right. I I never see your kinky videos ever. I found a much larger audience uh, with the polyam community. I try to put the kink stuff out there. TikTok just doesn't pick it up, which is fine. I mean, being an educator is giving people what they want. So I still try to put it out there. I just put out a kink video this morning, but we'll see if TikTok decides to pick it up. <laughs> I got to go look for that. I had literally no idea that kink was your thing. Um, no idea. Absolutely not. So that's another good thing to note is remember that your newsfeed is curated by robots and that yep. <laughs> that it's not reality. And it's also not everything that makes up a person. It's a good side yeah. note. Yeah, that's actually where I got these ears. So Bunny, and that's not, my partners, I don't use their real names because they're all obviously in the closet one way or the other. But these ears actually were a gift from my one partner, Bunny. She has a little bit of a feminization kink, hence the little bows and the bells. So she kind of likes to girly me up a little bit when we play. So that's, I'm like, I will wear something for her. (laughs) I love that. That's so sweet. Okay. Can you explain what is a masochistic bratty submissive? So it's really kind of three things there. There's the masochist, the brat, and the submissive. So the submissive is someone who simply put likes to serve. If you're familiar with the DS dynamic, there's the dominant and the submissive. Uh, the dominant is the one who gives order or direction. The submissive is the one who takes direction. Now, there's various types of submissives. Um, and I actually did a podcast episode with a friend of mine, Lindsay, where we talked about this. Um, two of those types are masochists and brats. Uh, a masochist is simply put someone who just enjoys pain. They're pain sluts. And that's what I am. Like I, I love being tied up and just, I'm not a big fan of paddles, but I love floggers. I love sharp pointy things. I love fire. Like I just love to feel pain. It really makes me feel alive. That's what a masochist is for. Mm-hmm. A brat is kind of like a unique type of submissive. I'd like to say a submissive says, how may I serve you? A brat says, how may I serve you? No, I don't want to do that. Give me something else. Like a brat is someone who likes to wrestle and tease their dom. Now, ultimately, they want to be dominated. They don't want to win. But they their, their pleasure they get is in the fight. I like to say a brat's love language is violence. Like they never listen to their dom the first time. They make them work for it. And then they ultimately <laughs> want the brat to kind of force them into submission. Like I was thinking about this interview this morning and like, I, I've really kind of been a brat my whole life. Like my whole life, I have just been one to question 
and 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 never mm -hmm. take things at first glance. I think a lot of that is I'm also autistic. So I really want to push social mores. Like I hate being told what to do, or more specifically, I hate being told what to do without explanation. Right? Like I was that kid growing up, like why? 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 Yeah. Why? <laughs> why? That's what brats do. It's like get on your knees. Why? Motivation. Why? Like, so Can yeah, I it's I don't want I don't want I'm you're you're gonna get my submission, but you have to earn it. It's that simple. <laughs> and it, it's a very, very unique type of dominant they're called brat tamers who have mm -hmm. to handle brats a lot of dominants do not like brats they don't even consider them quote-unquote real submissives uh but it's a very unique relationship yeah my my doms are the toughest out there because i have to deal with my asshole i love so. that you brought that up because i was going to say on the bdsm test that's the brat tamer that has to hold the... and what's interesting so we hired i i do this thing called a sexploration night once a mm -hmm. month i try mm -hmm. to go do something totally different or i'll hire someone in to come do something totally like come do hot wax play and teach us how to use candles or come teach play. us how to be a dominatrix so i hired this lady who is what's the opposite of a masochist? The sadist. Uh, sadist. One who so she's a pain, sadist, yes. and she has a masochistic slave sub person. And they came over and uh, sort of did a demonstration and like taught us the whole thing. And it, she kind of said the same thing. She's like, "I fucking hate brats." So he's he's yeah. not a brat. He's not a brat to her. He was like, "Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am." And very very obedient. But I'm more like you. I'm a. I love. Here's an interesting thing. I never felt safe to be a brat until I found Scott and I found a man that could hold that brattiness and that I wouldn't yeah. hurt his feelings, you know? Yes. And that allows me to be a little bit bratty and then can tame me a little. And I'm like, the, oh, that's like my biggest. That's what on. a lot of people who are outside the dynamic don't understand. And particularly a lot of people who are new to bratting, because I've done some mentoring and training with new brats is on the outside, it looks like I'm just mouthing off, but on the inside, it's 100% consensual. I know what I can get away with and what I can't get away with. And it's it's completely kind of pre-cleared. It's done through negotiations. And I know when I cross that line, my brat tamer will tell me, and then that's the end of it. Like, I like to say kink BDSM is a form of theater. It, it It's mm -hmm. something that's rehearsed in practice. So when I, when I brat up, when I do things, it's because I know my dom says it's okay. And if it's not okay, they're going to tell me and then I'm not going to do it. So it's not just an excuse to be an asshole. It's we're playing parts in a play. I never thought about someone teaching others to be a brat. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, because like I've, I've mentored a couple other brats and the immediate urge or I think the reason people want to be brats is like, oh, I can just mouth off to my dom whenever I want. It's, it's like a get out of jail free card and that's mm -hmm. not what it is. Like it seems, it seems like that from the outside, um, but a lot of, it does come down to negotiations. Whenever my my Dom Penguin and and Bunny and Foxy, all three of them, kind of work as as brat tamers for me, like we'll discuss this is okay and this is not okay, and if you do this, like this is punishment, or if you do this, then like you're seriously in trouble, and then we're going to stop the scene, and then I'm not going to talk to you for a while. So it's like Ooh. there's things like yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's you will cross the line. It's inevitable. That's part of the dynamic with both doms and subs, there's sometimes gray areas. You can't negotiate everything away as much as you would like to. Um, but there'll be points where you will cross the line. Someone's going to get hurt. There'll be a consent violation one way or the other. And then you have to talk it out and kiss mm -hmm. and make up. It's not it's as simple as just... Yeah. Yeah. It's not as simple as just doing whatever you want, whenever you want. 
So I love how you keep opening doors for me because it's really <laughs> easy to dig in here and ask more questions. Um, you said punishment. Can you explain yeah. punishment? So there's two types of punishment that we use. Um, punishment is you've actually done something wrong and you need to be punished for it. Uh, that is, think of it, typically most subs will do punishment. Things like, you know, if uh, if you think of your typical dom-sub dynamic, let's say the dom will ask the, the sub to clean the dishes and it's not done properly. They'll maybe make them, you know, perform some act as punishment, sit on your knees or sit in a chair and not move or that sort of thing. Brats love to play with punishment. Part of part of the things about brats is we will act up because we will get the punishment that we want. And that's actually how you punish a brat is you either ignore them or you don't give them what they want. Like Penguin has done that to me where I will act up and she's like, if you keep doing that, you're not getting spanks later. And that'll, that'll actually will behave. It's like, okay, because she knows like if I'm doing something that is annoying her, the way that she you know punishes me is by lack of punishment. So punishment is really this, say, I'm doing this with the anticipation that you're going to give me what I want later. Again, it's all this game that we play. It's all part of the play. It's all pre-scripted, whether from the outside, it may not look like that, but it's, it's a, Hey, I want, you know, scratches or I want scratches down my back. So I'm going to do something that is mildly annoying. And that's her cue to say, okay, he wants some punishment. I'll go give him some punishment. You know, I, I think the, there's a reason I went with cats because I think cats are part of my personality. Cats are the best brats on the planet. Like they will do things to get attention. If you think of a cat, will just knock something mm -hmm. off the counter and then look at you like, what are you going to do about it? Like that's, mm -hmm. that is the brat attitude. hundred <laughs> percent. I love that. Okay. So you opened another door and I want to talk about your four ladies, your four partners. I have so many questions here and I'm sure our audience does too. Like how in the hell do you manage four other humans, all female? Um, like I'm imagining you have four. So like, are they all cycling during the same time or is everybody like PMSing at the same time? Or like, I'm a, I'm curious about their personalities. If they're doming and you're bratty, are they all like super serious with you? Are they fun and flirty with you? Like, how do you choose who to go out with and when? How do you keep yeah. track of all of their life and so your life? Up until a up until a year ago, it actually used to be five. So take that in and just breathe that for a minute. Um, <laughs> I used to have a fifth partner, Vixen, that we we broke up last year. Uh, actually, January of this year, we're still amazing friends. Like it was just one of those where it's like we still see each other on a, on the regular. It's just we're just not dating anymore. Um, I would say four is difficult. The average polyamorous person I think has, I read somewhere it's like 2.7. So three is pretty usual. I probably could not handle as many if it wasn't for my unique situation. And here, here's what I mean by that. Okay. So I've got Foxy who is AFAB. However, they do identify as non-binary and they also live out of state. They're about a two and a half hour car ride for me. So I really only get to see them about three or four days out of the month. I'm actually going down to Virginia to spend the weekend with them. They actually came up to spend the weekend with me a couple of weeks ago. So, and then October, I think they're coming up again. So about once a month, I get, I get to spend about three or four days with them, which is nice. Um, Bunny is a stay-at-home mom who is both caring for a small child and a elderly mother-in-law. So she really doesn't get to leave the house that much. Like I'm lucky if I see her in person a couple of times a month as well. Mm -hmm. Now, with that said, both of them, I do chat on the phone with them every day. Bunny calls me every day. We have maybe just a 10 or 15 minute call to check in and chat, but we don't really kind of see each other in person. So that's that's part of the way I'm able to handle four partners is two of them I don't really see physically a whole lot. 
Um, the other two, I have Panda, who is my spouse. The, the term I like to use is nesting partner. We kind of talked a little bit about hierarchy before we got started with this. Yeah, recording, do you want to explain what nesting partner is? Exactly. So, yeah. so nesting partner is simply put, it is the partner that you live with. Um, as in like a nest, like where birds, you know, kind of, they build. Um, I like that term because I find it to be less hierarchical. People can use wife, husband, spouse. It's fine. Some of us, I just, I like that because I like to say I don't love my partners more than each other. I love them differently. And I feel like if I were to use the word wife, it would be a little, it would put her on a pedestal a little higher than my other partners, which is not the impression that I want to give. Um, so I see her, you know, literally every day. Um, and then Penguin fortunately lives two miles from my house. I can walk to her house in five minutes. Well, maybe not that long, but uh, about two miles from my, I can get there in five minutes car ride. Uh, I see her, we have two date nights a week. We, I see her every Sunday and I see her every Wednesday. And of course we chat through this thing all the time as well. So um, as far as kind of personalities, Obviously, every person is different. I will say from a kink dynamic, Foxy Bunny and Penguin are all switches, which means that they identify as both dom-sub. Um, I have this funny saying, I like <laughs> I like to say I turn subs into switches and I turn switches into doms because when they meet me, to quote Penguin, she's like, I think people just want to beat you. Like, that's what it is. When they meet me, they just feel this need to hit me um, because they were all kind of subs slash switches. And then they met me and they're like, I just got to beat him with a flogger for some reason. I don't know what it is about him. He just needs to be hit until he shuts up. <laughs> but they're, they're very, I would say, dominant type personalities. Uh Panda, my nesting partner, is also a submissive. Uh, we do not have a kink dynamic at all. Our relationship is extremely vanilla. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, two submissives living together, you think it's difficult between a normal couple trying to decide what to eat for dinner? Oh, no, we go back and forth for hours on that. Neither of us wants to make decisions. It's a nightmare. I love her very, very much. But it's 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 interesting when two subs... I like to say we're two bottoms just trying to make it work. That's all it is. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. You're like, someone make a decision. Exactly. But yep. I can also imagine, <coughs> excuse me, not a tickle in my throat. I can also imagine how that dynamic could be like very sensual, very safe, very like, no, <laughs> I don't know. That's what I imagine. I mean, it's, it's, and it's funny you say that. Um, it, it, it is safe. It is safe. But it is also on the other side, we are both, um, how do I want to put this? we're both very sensual. We're both into touch, but the problem comes in the fact that we're both very submissive in the bedroom. <laughs> so yeah, I know like this is, this is really funny. Like it's you're like, you're like you want to No, you're waiting on the other person to ask if you want to exactly. do it. Is that what's happening? A lot okay. of times that's what it's like. We're, we're both waiting on the other person to take the lead. And because of that, like it doesn't always get going as often as that we is like so it cute going. i've heard of other signs that people use like if i wear a certain underwear if i turn the color yeah. in the room of certain color then like that's my little tiny hint that i want to do something do little things like that work for you guys not so much and i i think part of it is and, and i'm going to take a little bit of tangent because one thing i'd like to talk a little bit about is men's mental health because as okay. a as the token cishet white guy of my group of friends, um, right. I feel like I have a responsibility to talk about this. Like one thing that I struggle with personally that I'm getting better at is um, there is a assumption out there that guys just want sex all the time. Yeah. Like you never have to ask a guy, do you want to have sex? The answer is yes. They're always ready for sex. And I am super reluctant and I have a hard time asking 
for sex. Like I would, I will just not have sex rather than going to one of my partners and being like, Hey, I'm kind of in the mood. Can we have some sex? I just feel, it makes me feel, I don't know what it is. I, I think part of it is it makes me feel, I think every guy in the back of their head, there's this fear that they don't want to come off as someone who is, for lack of a better term, sexually aggressive, if you know what I'm, where I'm going with oh, this. I was going to say needy, but yeah. Not, not needy, but more like, I think every guy has a fear that they're going to have sex with someone, particularly a woman, and the woman's not into it, and then they come off looking or feeling like a monster or a pervert. And I think oh. in my mind, that's what it is. And I have one, I've even done TikToks about this. I have to remind myself that like, if you ask someone to have sex and they say yes, like that is informed consent. Like, like you don't, there's this myth that both people have to be like, yeah, let's do this. And like, it's perfectly okay for one person to say, I'd like to have sex because it's something that makes you happy. And let's do this because it's something that's making you. And that's kind of the, the stumbling block in my mind. But like you've got to bring forth and you've got to you've got to vocalize your desires. And that's really that was the hardest thing for me as a submissive was vocalizing my desires. Like I remember the first time Penguin and I started a scene and she's like, OK, we're going to do a scene. What do you want to do? This is literally the conversation. I go. Stuff. She's like, OK, what kind of stuff? I'm like. Sexy stuff. Dirty like, stuff. <laughs> you, you, you have to give me more, Kev. Like we can't just like you have. She has done a lot of work with me trying to vocalize, like, no, you need to tell me what do you want me to do with this toy? What do you want me to do with that toy? What do you want me to do with my hands? What do you want me to do with my mouth? What do you want me to do with my genitals? Like, you've got to be very explicit and specific. And I think men are find it easier to do that. But me personally, like, that's very difficult for me to say, I would like you to do X or I would like you to do Y. May I ask if it's like programming from your parents, from the church, from society, like where do you think that that stems from? Oh, I'm sure you've talked question. to your therapist about this like 20 million times. So I'm curious. A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, my parents and I, we never talked about sex. I was raised a religious, like I'm an atheist. So I never went to church growing up. Okay. Um, I, I think if I had to put my finger on it, I think there definitely was a atmosphere in my childhood growing up about there was a reluctance to voice needs. Mm-hmm. um just needs in general now how that got translated into it's not okay to talk about your sexual needs i mean that's anyone's guess but maybe mm-hmm. it was some sort of parenting thing because i know growing up my parents were very much like keep your head down do the work do be a good student be a good son there wasn't a whole lot of like advocate for yourself so i'm i'm yeah. i see my therapist on friday i should probably bring that up to her <laughs> oh that's so good this advocating for herself <laughs> Well, it's funny that you bring this up because I'm finding it as well with our partners. So we, um, we have a new secondary lady that we're seeing. Like I only say secondary cause like she's brand new to the scene and we've had this relationship since April mm-hmm. with this other woman. And yeah. so this all is brand, 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 brand new. Like we just had sex with her last night for the first time. And I am noticing as more, um, we only date women is our thing, um, our, our dynamic. And so as we, um, as more women come into our bedroom and I am witnessing other women making love with my partner and me, I'm like, holy fuck. There is like so much repression, like so much, um, like this inability to vocalize like noise, any kind of noise, any kind of moan, any kind of desire, like speak what they want. Um, 
which of course like makes me as an educator and makes me as a podcaster want to talk even more about empowerment and and I try as the partner that does have a voice and is very articulate in bed to say like sweet things to them to help them feel yeah. better. Like I'm like, you know, like, like your pussy is so beautiful. Like you taste yeah. so good on my lips. You, yeah. I love the way that you look when, you know, Scott strokes your hair or whatever. Like I'm like watching yeah. all of this unfold and I'm trying to empower everyone in the room <laughs> to like, you know, feel that feel safe to communicate what they want. And, um, it was interesting cause I, I watched her really be unable to move out of her head and she kept getting so close to orgasm and she, then she'd be like, I literally can't feel my body anymore. Like I just, am, I just, I don't know what to do. And like, I want to have blah, blah, blah. And like, I felt so bad for her. And it, it reminds me that I think most people, not just women, but especially women, I think are very much like have this inability to be embodied in their body and feel all the things and then ask. She did this one thing last night that was amazing. I, I, I think Scott was going down on her and she was like, she was like, I need you to come up here. Like I'm, I'm yeah. totally desensitized. I can't feel anything anymore. Yeah. Like come up here and be sweet to me up in here. And I was yeah. like, good girl. Like what a good girl you are for telling what, telling him what you need. I wonder if I have a closet praise kink because like that, my partner not communicating me to me during sex, like just drives me bananas. Like I need someone to talk to me and tell me, me too. Like, this is what I want. This is what, and like, they, they, I would say that is the one spot where I do get a little more dominant is, you know, tell me what, tell me that you like this or tell me that you don't like this. I say or that like, too. I'm like, do you like what I'm doing? <laughs> exactly. Like, do you like that? Hello. Or, <laughs> I need to know, I need to know what's going on because like, I can't, I can't fix, I, I'm a big advocate that knowledge is power and yeah. you can't fix what you don't know. Like no. if I'm doing this wrong, don't just sit there and, and grin and bear it. Like tell me I'm doing it wrong and I will do what I can to not do it wrong. I'm you know? trying to get a lot better at <laughs> like feeling into their body, like feeling the energy and feeling like you know, <clears throat> that cervix elongation and the way that the yeah. vagina changes as you're inside with your fingers. Like Scott is so, my partner is so masterful at this with the female body. And I feel like I'm like at the starting line and I'm like, am I doing it right? Like, yeah. okay, she's getting wetter. This feels good. Like I'm still just, I, I feel like I have so much to learn about the female body, even though I have a female body, but I was never given permission to explore and play. And so it's not just me. It's like every woman that I talk to is like, I'm finally starting to like embrace pleasure in my body. Have you ever seen the vagina monologues? No. Isn't that awful? Oh my God. You need to. Oh, are, okay. You need I'm to writing it down right now. <laughs> so are you familiar with what it is? Yes. Yes. You need to go see it. And I say that because the words that you have said, like, I need to understand my body and feel my body. Like that is what the whole play is about. It is about women understanding their i want to say their femininity but understanding their sexuality and understanding what their body is trying to tell them go i've seen it numerous times where i live usually there's a, a local dv shelter that puts on on uh to like raise money on valentine's days so i've seen it probably five or six times at this point but i would highly recommend go see that i think as uh someone who is a woman you may find value in that i'm a guy and i find value in it and i don't even have one so we all need to know about anatomy yes. <laughs> of all genders, like as well as we can in order, I think, to 
to give the most pleasure to our people. So I'm excited about that. Um, if you're ready for a different topic, the, the sure. third question that I have for you is this whole concept of hierarchy. So you will be the first person that has ever been on this podcast. By the time this airs, we'll have over a hundred episodes and I have never talked about hierarchy and relationship. Most of my lifestyle friends are all in hierarchy relationships. It's typical, like the husband and the wife, and there's kids at home still, and there's people that they're raising and dog food that they're buying. And like, it feels like that's a natural thing till I land on TikTok. And there's tons of people in the poly community that have this higher non-hierarchical arrangement. And I want to better understand it. I want to understand why some people feel it's the only way. I want to understand why you would want to have a non-hierarchical um, arrangement. And yeah, if you want to just kind of riff on that for a little sure. bit. So I, I think a lot of the confusion that comes with the term hierarchy has to do with how we define it, because I've never met two people who define it equally. So I will give my definition, and then I can kind of describe why I am non-hierarchical and why I believe that even if you're not non-hierarchical, you really should be working towards it. Because a lot of times people will say, I'm hierarchical, but they're actually not when we talk about it. So the heart wants what the heart wants. I'm a big believer. You got to let your heart do what the heart's going to do. Um, you know, I like to say my partners and I, we have one rule and one rule only. And that is you don't own me. I don't own you. I don't tell you what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. And at its heart, that is really what hierarchy is. So let's talk about what hierarchy is not. A lot of times when I see people talk about hierarchy, they're like, well, I'm married and I live with someone and we have a mortgage and we have shared finances. So when I make those decisions about where we're going to live or what you know kind of animal we're going to pet we're going to get or how we're going to raise the kids, that's hierarchy. That's not hierarchy. That's not hierarchy at all. Um, that is sometimes what's referred to as descriptive hierarchy, but it's not actual hierarchy because hierarchy comes with comes from power and how you use it against other people. For instance, Penn and I were legally married. We've been together 19 years. We own a home together. We share finances. We're on each other's health insurance. For that reason, because we have what's called entanglement, entanglement is how much your life is enmeshed in someone else's life. Because of that, I like to describe polyamory as a spider web. Like when you're on that web, when you move, everyone else feels it. Much like when a fly gets caught, the spider feels it. When I make decisions about my life, where I'm going to live, uh, what job I'm going to take, you know, th th those kinds of really important life decisions. She's going to feel it more than anyone else. Mm. For that reason, I don't let her make the choice, but I do ask her and I get her input and I maybe give her a little bit more weight than I would my other partners. That's not hierarchy. Hierarchy, sometimes referred to as prescriptive hierarchy, is this person is my spouse. Because of that, we're going to make decisions regardless of what other people in our life believe, and maybe even regardless of our feelings, our emotions. Um, hierarchy is placing title above feeling. Um, question I get asked a lot is, um, do you think you would ever divorce Panda for one of your other partners? Mm -hmm. And my answer is, I don't see any reason why I would. I didn't say no. But my answer instead was, we are very happy. I see no reason why we wouldn't continue to be happy. However, non-hierarchy means love and relationships, they grow and they shift with intensity. And I feel it all the time. You know, there are days where I feel like Panda, 
I love her more than any other human being on the planet. And then there's days where it's like, eh, maybe maybe we're in a little bit of a lull and Penguin's up here. And it happens all the time with all my partners. Non, or non-hierarchical relationships is letting your feelings and emotions do that. And it may come a point where Panda and I, as people, drift apart and we decide, hey, we just don't want to live together. I mean, it's been 19 years. I hope that day never happens. Mm. But hierarchy says it's a contract. It's a contract that's made in stone. And it says we are married. We're going to be married no matter what. And nothing's ever going to come between us. And usually those contracts or those agreements are based upon fear. Mm -hmm. They're based upon jealousy. Mm -hmm. They're based upon I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. So when I talk about a non-hierarchical relationship, it's not necessarily saying it's not saying things will change. It's saying I'm open to the idea of change. Whereas hierarchy says we're going to close that door before it ever gets open. Does that make sense? That's a really beautiful description because that is not at all what I thought you were going to say. And I can definitely see that. Um, And I feel like, well, I'm not going to talk about my own life because I do think that we have hierarchy. I'm not going to pretend like we don't like we, absolutely present to women that we date, that we are a couple, that are partnered, that live together, and we are not moving you in. And like, we're not making big life decisions based on, you know, you, and we probably won't even introduce you to our kids. I am sure right now you're like, ah, cringy, but that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And we're at the beginning of our polyamorous journey. We are barely like a year in at this point. And like, that's what feels good for us. And that's how we were able to even open. Yes, sir. I Let me, ask you, a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go you ahead. Said, we're not going to shoot your kids. We're not going to move you in. Do you think at some point that may ever change? Absolutely. So that's where I was leading to. That's the difference. I that's can, the difference. That is non-hierarchy right there. Yeah, yes. I can. And we, we talk about this. So A, I've had two husbands and I, I've, I feel both of my relationships were perfect for where I was. It was exactly what I needed. It was exactly what they needed. We consciously uncoupled. That's a whole like beautiful another conversation. They're both still very involved in my life. And um I I see from my point of view that people flow in and out of our life. And to your point, we don't own them. We can't you know, we can't, now it's getting a little BDSM in my head where I'm like, you can't lock them down and strap them to a bed. I mean, you could, but you can't yeah, forever and it's not legal. <laughs> There's not enough consent. Um, so you can't, you can't make people stay with you and you can't force them to stay with you. And you also have zero control over what your partner does. So yeah. I am, um, and Scott and I've talked about this a bit, but like, I'm, I'm mindful of that, that in a decade, you know, or when the kids move out, things may change with us. Things may change at that point. We may have dated someone for years and, and the kids move out and we're like, let's all coexist together. Like, can we all have like, can we all pitch in for the mortgage? That'd be awesome. Think of how much we could put in savings. Like I can imagine a world where, um, in fact, my friends and I have talked a lot about this. Like, why don't we all just go buy land together and live together? So yeah, I could definitely see that at this point in our life and at this point in our relationship where I think it's still, you feel a little bit of tension when you open up and you're like, oh God, like, what am I opening up myself to? We're still a little bit in that. Um, And staying open and in this polyamorous relationship because we are having a lot of fun and we enjoy caring and loving for other people and bringing them into our lives and taking amazing care of them. And, um, 
yeah, that's where that's where we're at. Yeah, and, and we spoke a little bit about this before we started recording, but you know, I kind of consider hierarchy to be the training wheels of polyamory. And what I mean by that is that, yeah, it can be really scary. As someone who started out as a swinger, yeah, we absolutely practiced hierarchy. And by that, I mean, <laughs> swingers all the time do hierarchy. They, I've had swingers tell me to my face, yeah, this is my wife and no one's ever going to come between us. Like yeah. ever. That's the key word there. And, and, yeah. Like hierarchy, hierarchy is okay. At least in my mind, this is where I give people more grace to your point. If you're new, this can be really scary. No one has ever been an expert at something the first day they started it. We were all new with something at some point. It's only after, you know, 19, 16 years of me doing 19 years of my relationship, 16 years that we've been doing this. It's only been the last five or six that I've been able to say, you know what? I'm willing to take those training wheels off. And I'm yeah. willing to say someone may come between the two of us, but they won't really come between the two of us because, you know, how I feel about you is always going to be independent of how I feel about someone else. And maybe our intensity of our relationship may fluctuate, but it's not going to be my fault or your fault. And it's certainly not going to be that third person's fault. And I think that's why people grip to hierarchy so much. They're afraid that someone's going to come in and steal your partner away. All right. People are like cats. All right. No one can steal your partner. If your cat, if your cat gets out of the house and doesn't come back, that cat left you. No cat is going to leave a house with free food, water, and shelter. Yeah. If your partner leaves you, they made a choice. Yeah. No one can steal your partner. They saw something they liked better and they left and you have to accept and deal with it. Yeah. I would love to talk on that for a minute if you're okay with it. Sure. <laughs> mm. So I certainly um, experienced this with my second marriage. We, I have only been monogamous and serial monogamous my whole life. I've always just one person latch on, do the things, work through the hard till you can't work through the hard anymore. And then like knowing that chapter is over. And him and I, towards the end of our eight-year marriage, opened up our our relationship for the first time ever fully. Like there were no rules. I was dating whoever I wanted. He was dating whoever he wanted. And he chose at the end to leave. He was like, I don't, what are we doing here? I don't want this. I really just, I want to be vanilla and I want a vanilla wife and I want a vanilla life. And so he was like, I think I'm going to go get an apartment. And and it was the best decision that ever could have happened. He, uh, within a month or two, found his now fiance. They're getting married next year. For her, she's in her mid-30s and didn't think she'd ever get married and have kids. Like she thought that time's just passed and gone. And now she has this amazing opportunity to have a whole family. And so I'm like, I'm just so grateful that I didn't hold on so tightly, you know, that I didn't, you know, I didn't let him walk out the door, like let him right. Like walk out the door. Mm -hmm. But there were things that I could have like fallen back and said, Oh, well, we'll close again. Let me help be vanilla with you. And I'll just yeah. kind of suffer through this for the next however many years we're going to be married till death do us part. Right. And then I found a new partner who now stretches me and grows. I'm growing like crazy. And I was instead, you know, in the, in the last eight years with my second husband in this very protective bubble. And I needed that to feel yep. safe, to become who I am and step into my femininity. And like all, you know, I went all down all these programs and learn things. And, and so now I'm like getting to be challenged in the world with this new partner who really challenges my thoughts and the way I think. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't think about that. So I, I love this ebb and flow and the fluidity of life and the fluidity of partners. And, and we haven't talked at all about Panda, 
does Panda also have other partners? Do you ever feel jealous that she's going to go run off with one of her people? So let me say all my partners actually have other partners. So if you can imagine our polycule, which is, I'll throw that term out there. It's basically like a diagram of you and your other partners. Mine's basically a web, which is like, it's me. And then it's like four partners and they've got partners. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a hot mess. I call it the literal clusterfuck because that's what's happening. It's a cluster where everyone's fucking. Um, But to answer your question, yes, she does have uh, two other partners. She has one partner who is uh, a woman who is nearby that she does not get to spend a whole lot of time with, probably not as much as she wants, if I had to guess, because her partner also has a nesting partner, but she does try to catch up as much as she can. She also has a long distance partner who is literally traveling Europe for work as we speak. So she chats with him on a daily basis, but really does not get to see him a whole lot. Do I get, do I get jealous? Here's the thing about jealousy. It is a normal human emotion. There's absolutely nothing wrong with with feeling it. I am one of the lucky few who does not get it more than most. Mm -hmm. And I've had opportunity to work through it when I do get it. So the very first time that Panda had an overnight with Kiki, her female partner who lives in town, um, we had never done an overnight separate. Like it was always just like if we had stayed at someone's house, it was together. Like she was off with a partner and I was home alone with the cats. I remember waking up and I remember feeling two things. I remember feeling, it's all right. And then I got terrified and I got terrified because my first reaction was, okay, this is all right. All these thoughts started going through my head. Do I not love her? Do I not care about her? Mm. I was panicking because I wasn't jealous. Um, I like to think a lot of my advice that I give on TikTok is not necessarily poly advice. It's just general good relationship advice. We need to get over this idea that jealousy is an indicator of love. Um, Jealousy is an emotion. It's okay to feel it. When we feel it, we should communicate it. We should try to work through it. But it's not necessarily, if you don't feel jealous, that doesn't mean you don't love somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to recognize our partners are autonomous. Um, If one of my partners were to come to me and say, hey, like this, this is, I'll give you a vixen who was my fifth partner that I'm still friends with today, but we were romantically involved for about 18 months. And she came to me and she's like, I think we should just be friends. And I just said, okay, if that's what makes you happy, like that, that's, that's how you got it. It's, it's caring about your partner's happiness and recognizing that love doesn't last forever. It lasts as long as it can. And sometimes as long as it can, isn't forever. And if our partner needs to move on, we need to accept that. We shouldn't be trying to fight to keep them. We should absolutely be saying, I care about you and what can I do to make sure you're happy? But sometimes right. we we don't we don't always get to play the part that we want to play in other people's lives. Oh my God. You just keep opening these doors. I feel like so lucky right now that I feel like I have this one-on-one like Q&A of TikTok, but it's live and I can ask anything I want. Thank you. So two things came to mind. Let me start with the first one, which is kids. Kids, like teaching kids this concept of love doesn't always last forever sounds sad. How do you teach your kids these concepts that love ebbs and flows and people flow in and out of our life? And like, you know, you want to say the only people that'll love you forever are your parents, but you and I were talking before and like, we're both having parental issues. So, I mean, how the fuck do you teach kids this stuff? Well, I I think, and I'll say full disclosure, Penn and I don't have kids. Uh, We thought about having kids when we were in our twenties and then we both woke up one day when we were 30 and we just looked at each other and said, we're both fine the way we are, right? 
okay, let's let's go the non-kid route. And it's been 15 years since then, and we're couldn't be happier. Um, but I do have a lot of nieces, nieces and nephews. I've got like, I don't know, eight or ten of them. The oldest being 14, the youngest is like three. So I do get to deal with kids a lot. And I think it we teach them by not teaching them. And what I mean by that is I don't think we realize. I was also thinking about this this morning when I was going for my walk. How much we impress upon young people this cis-heteronormative mm. narrative. Mm-hmm. Like we t- we teach kids <laughs> kids as little as newborns um one thing i really want to do is next time i see a baby in a basket like a newborn baby with a pink ring pink bow on its head i just want to walk up to the mom and be like i love your son your son is adorable you're gonna rip that like, bow off its head exactly like the kid doesn't know it's a girl the kid's no. a newborn like why are we enforcing you know sexual stereotypes relationship stereotypes you know gender stereotypes on kids who don't know so like here's how you teach kids that love doesn't last forever hey sweetie like you know how your mom and dad love each other yeah well i mean they still do but sometimes people change and grow and maybe they just need to live apart for a while it's that easy like you don't need to we we start we peel away this fairy tale fantasy about prince charming and like love is forever and one person will fulfill. like if we take all that crap out of it then we just like kids grow and naturally understand that like mm-hmm. relationships work how relationships work like i'm gonna get off my monogamy soapbox in a minute but that that is what really bothers me is how we say monogamy is so important and it's the the best way to live your life when 50 percent of marriages end in divorce and the average serial monogamous will have between five and eight relationships. This is all from the National Institute of Health, by the way. Fact check me on this. The average serial monogamous will have between five and eight relationships from the time they turn 18 to the time they pass away. So if you consider the till death do us part as the best one, that means that you've had between four and seven failures, which means your success rate is anywhere between 13 and 20%. 80% of your relationships are going to crash and burn. But that's monogamy works. Okay. (laughs) God, it is such a perspective thing, right? Like you have, you've got to be able to look at past relationships and say like, I at least got one thing, even if it was a learning something I will never do again, or a child, you know, like, Somebody we were talking to yesterday, I was like, you know, your first marriage was awful, but at least you have your daughter. You know, you got something amazing out of it. I think the freedom and beauty of polyamory is that I don't have to get all the things I need from every partner. I think that's why monogamy fails, is that we look at our partner and we say, you have to be our everything. And polyamory throws that idea in the trash. Like, Panda could never be dominant. Like, I need someone, I need a woman to be dominant with me. It's that simple. And that's what, you know, my other three partners kind of fulfill. Um, there's various aspects that my other partners don't have that, you know, Panda does and, and vice versa. I can mix and match all day. But the point is, though, is that the second that we realize that we can't fit our partners into this mold, that we can get people, and it doesn't even have to be romantic relationships. It can be friendships. It can be coworkers. You know, mm-hmm. this idea that, the weirdest thing that my sister pointed out to me was after she got married, Panda would go out with not, not her partner, just with friends. And my sister would be like, you know, why, why is she going out with friends? Why isn't she home with you? And I'm like, because she has a life. 
Like right. it's, it's like there's this expectation that your your spouse becomes your life partner and then you're like literally chained at the hip. Like we need to get away from that. We need to let people form relationships organically mm-hmm. and and let them get what they need from different people and say that's perfectly fine. Okay, you open the door on a second question that I really <laughs> want to ask that I know you get asked all the time. I get asked it all the time too. And I'm also navigating it in real time. So I'm hoping you have some wisdom when you talked about your spider web and how, you know, you're dating four people or three others, your, your nesting partner has two. each of them have their own people that they're also, how in the, uh, you know, I'm going to ask the STI question, like, what do you do when another person enters the scene and enters the, whatever you call it, the web? Yeah. Um, so there's some kind of general best practices for STIs. Let me say that that I am not a medical doctor. Do not take this as medical advice. This is simply what I have read and what other people in the community do. So generally speaking, if you are uh, AMAB, uh, get tested once a year. I get tested once a year. Actually, my anniversary is in October, so I'm going to be Hold getting on. tested next month. What is AMAB? Sure, AMAB is assigned male at birth. So I'm okay. trying to work. I'm trying to work gendered language out of my gender. So because I'm. Again, because one of my partners is non binary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they go by they, them. They are assigned female at birth, but don't ever call them a woman because they will literally punch you in the face. They're tough. <laughs> okay. So, if you are assigned male at birth, once a year is fine. If you're assigned female at birth, typically every six months to once a year is also fine. Okay. Um, that also depends upon your activity. I would also say any personal health issues. Also, anytime someone new is added to your polycule or anytime you have new sexual activity with someone. That was easy. <laughs> it's really that if people think it's complicated, it's not. It it's is. like get checked We've out. We've been trying to figure it out. Yeah, we're yeah. like, we're like, so we have a bubble and there's lots of little bubbles in the main bubble. Yeah. And if a new person comes into the bubble, can't we just have them get tested and then everyone yeah, else? That, is it's okay? really that simple. It's like really the the new person should get tested. That new person's partner should get tested. And as long as those tests both come back negative, then you're fine. And then just get tested every six or 12 months from there on. Which makes me feel like we make the STI conversation like way too complicated. There's a lot of fear around it. Here's the other thing about STIs. Um, As someone who has had um, people in their quote unquote bubble who have had STIs, Mm -hmm. I think when we think about STIs, we think about... um, HSV2, and we think about HIV, the really, really nasty ones. But there's other ones out there, gonorrhea, chlamydia, that it's, you go to the doctor, you do 10 days of antibiotics and you're fine. Like, I'm not going to say STIs are the same as the cold, but there are some STIs out there, a good number of them, that it's just, you take some medication and you're fine. I think we um, demonize people who have STIs. We, We shame them relentlessly over catching an STI. I had a follower reach out to me uh, last month who was in a bit of a panic. Um, And they said, I have a question about STIs. They said, I just, I don't know how to communicate this to my partners. I said, okay, what happened? I got HSV-1. And I said, 70% of the global population has that. Are you Mm -hmm. aware of that? It's not a big deal. Like when it comes, and this this is great. I'm going to plug my tiktok model i'm doing the fries model of consent right now informed tell your partners when's the last time you were tested if you have an sti let them know and then let them make the decision if they still want to engage with you that's their choice all you can do is give people the facts Mm -hmm. and then trust them to make the decision that's right for them 
that's it. You, yeah, you're it's like, really that simple. Like, why are we making this so hard on ourselves? And stop shaming people. Oh my yeah, god, that's like my biggest annoyance. Stop fucking shaming people because the majority of humans that are walking around that are sexually active have either had something or have something. Just breathe. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's really amazing. Like, there's a rumor that the polyam or the non-monogamous community has a higher STI prevalence. And again, National Institute of Health, it's actually about the, the same as the monogamous community. And the reason behind that is testing. Even though we have more partners, we are more sexually active. We use protection way more and we mm. get, I know monogamous people who haven't been tested in 20 years. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that you're cheating on your spouse. I'm not saying your spouse is cheating on you, but that's how you get an STI because you don't talk about it. You don't communicate it. Like I really believe everyone should be getting STI tests. If you're monogamous, maybe not every 12 months, but you really shouldn't be forgetting about it for 20 plus years. <laughs> okay. We're up at an hour. I guess my last question for you is like, what's next for the bratty cat? You're on TikTok. You're doing some education. I don't see an offering. Like, is there anything yeah. that's next for you? You know, I don't know. And that's a darn good question. Um, I, I still feel like I'm trying to break through that ceiling. Um, I just got 10,000 followers last month, which I feel really proud about. Congrats. But I'm still not. Thank you. I'm still not where I want to be. I have reached out to other content creators about possibly doing some collaborations, but I started this, you know, my, when I mentioned my therapist is the one who got this ball rolling and mm. they asked me what, you know, what, what is it you want to accomplish from therapy? And I said, I want to be a positive force for good. And I think at the end of the day, as long as I'm doing that, I'm okay with it. Like, do I want to have a hundred thousand followers? Do I want, you know, half a million people every month coming to my Facebook page? Absolutely. But at the same time, like I'm getting offers from TikTok to hawk products for skin cream and yogurt. Like I'm not going to, I don't want to whore myself out to capitalism just to make money. Like that, that's, that's not really what it's about for me. Yeah. I just, I want to grow. I want to reach out to people. And I mean, that's the big reason I wanted to do this podcast. If I can get more people to hear my message and I can help people, that's what submissives do. We live to serve and I just want to serve and I just want to help. And we'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, I will include all your links in the notes below your website, all your social handles. He is the bratty cat everywhere. Um, and if you're listening or watching this, I hope that you do stop at the end of this podcast and go follow. I love watching Kevin on TikTok. I, as I've mentioned, I've learned so much and I love your delivery. Like you're never accusatory and you don't make me feel uncomfortable. Like I feel that you're very open and you present the information in a way that is factual and informative and safe, you know, safe to receive the message. So I appreciate I that. I appreciate it. That's a large part of education. It's something I've had to work on as well. We have to recognize, and I, I, it's probably the third time I've said this already, we have to give grace. We have to realize not everyone is where we are at today and sometimes just take a step back and say, hey, we're here to help and we just got to deliver that message in a way that is helping people. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fun. I this has been a blast. It.